welcome to Season 2 of the Thompson Rivers University Business Law Society Podcast. My name is Bowen Matheson. I'm a 3L student at TRU Law and the host for this second season. I was among the founding team of TRU Law students who started the Business Law Society in 2019, and I produced Season 1 of this podcast last school year. This podcast aims to provide students, lawyers, and the general public with insights from some of the greatest legal professionals in Canada. We hope that our conversations with rising stars, legal innovators, law professors, Queen's Counsel, and other legal professionals provide our listeners with impacting and thought-provoking entertainment. So with that said, this podcast is not legal advice. Our third guest on Season 2 of the TRU Business Law Society podcast is Danielle Wint. Danielle is an associate in the corporate commercial group at Borden Ladner Gervais LLP in Vancouver with a focus on transactional work and privacy matters. Danielle was a committee member for the 2020-2021 LGBTQS2 plus virtual firm hop, and she has a nine-month-old golden retriever named Theo. So Danielle, welcome to the TRU Business Law Society podcast. Thanks so much for that uh, introduction. It's great to be here today. So can you share with us a brief overview of your academic path to law and your experience from articling student to becoming an associate at the LG Vancouver? Yeah, for sure. So I did my undergrad, my diploma in accounting and law school all at UBC. So I definitely like Vancouver and happy to be here. Um, But yeah, I I started out uh, doing a science undergrad in microbiology and immunology, minored in commerce, but uh, definitely came from a science background, which is uh, not really a super typical path to law school. Um, Did an accounting diploma uh, right after my undergrad degree and then went into law school. So uh, yeah, I wasn't really somebody who always knew they wanted to be a lawyer. It was kind of a path that I I found along the way. Um, But I I sort of tried it out, really enjoyed law school. And that's how I ended up here today. Did you summer and article at BLG Vancouver or just article? I summered and articled at BLG. So uh, BLG Vancouver is the only law firm that I've worked at. And yeah, it's been really great uh, being at the firm. Um, it has been mostly virtual for my articling and now being an associate, but it's been a, a great place to work and super happy there. That leads me to my first question. Can you give us a general overview of the big law atmosphere and starting your career in that environment? One of the reasons that I wanted to work at a big law firm was I didn't really know what I wanted to go into. Um, sort of how I didn't really know how I wanted to be a lawyer. Once I was in law school, I didn't know what area I wanted to practice. So I wanted to go to a a full service law firm where I'd get to try out lots of different areas of practice, work with a huge range of people and sort of figure out what I wanted to do by sort of trial and error. Yeah, that sounds like a really great idea. So many law students might feel they're confident about what they want to do with their career from school, but school isn't the real world. And that's a real big appeal to full service firms is the opportunity, ideally, through a rotation system or just a very open firm that allows you to get lots of work in lots of areas to feel it out for the the sake of what you would actually be doing in practice. Much more similar, right? For sure. Yeah, I found that law school is great and you learn a lot sort of of that black letter law, um, but you don't really know what it's like to practice until you're really in a firm. So I found that doing summering and articling at a large law firm, I got to get that practical experience, try out different areas, see what I liked, see who I liked working with and sort of narrow down what I wanted to do. Um, And also just the the amount of training that you get at a large law firm I, was something that really attracted me to to going to a national firm. 
Yeah, absolutely. They have all the resources, all of the personnel that can assist you at whatever stage you're at, I'm sure. There's another question that came to my mind that was regarding the fact that you, you are in a commercial corporate practice, but even that area itself is, is vast and there's so many different practice areas. So how do you learn more about certain practice areas in your first year of a corporate commercial practice? And how do you build your training around those things? Yeah, so I, I practice in the corporate commercial group at BLG, and, and that is uh, a very broad practice group in and of itself. So we do uh, mergers and acquisitions work. There's uh, privacy work, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, tons of different areas, procurement side of things. Um, so one of the ways that I sort of learned more about those different areas is I think kind of what we do when we're applying to law school, go on the firm's website, see what are the industries we practice in, who are the different people at the firm, try to meet as many people as possible and, and just grab coffee, learn more about their area of practice and really take advantage of all of the different learning sessions and seminars where different uh, partners will present on interesting cases or files that they're working on um, and really just try to get as much exposure to what's going on in the firm as possible and then reach out to those people and ask if they need assistance with anything. And, and as a summer and articling student, I definitely recommend that students do that as much as possible so that they can actually try out those different areas, figure out if they're interested, and then maybe try to take that on once they become an associate. That sounds like a really ideal way of doing it. You're educating yourself, you're exposing yourself through those seminars, those sessions, maybe articles or projects that are being shared by other people at the firm, but you're taking that and saying to yourself, you're reflecting like that. Did I fall asleep in that? Am I really into this? Yeah, totally. And making that differentiation of what other side you might feel more inclined towards. And then from there, it seems like you have to be a little bit more of a self-starter to try and reach out to those people and see what's uh, available for work opportunities for a junior lawyer at that level. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. I think especially in this virtual world that we're in as well, you have to take even more initiative with those things. If you're in the office, I think there's more natural opportunities for bumping into somebody or you know, poking your head in someone's office and, and quickly saying hi and asking if they need any help. But with everybody at home, you definitely need to reach out a little more and and make those connections and say, you know, I saw you present on X or I read your bulletin on Y, like, that's super cool to me. Can I ever help you with anything? And they might not have anything right at that moment, but next time something comes up, they'll think of you and, and hopefully get you involved. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's not just like a casual interaction, like you're on your way to the coffee room and you're like, hey, I saw that presentation. It's so much more directed and intentional when you're seeking out those uh, opportunities you're interested in nowadays, virtually especially, right? For sure. That's got to be a little bit of a challenge, but it's also something that a lot of law students have had to transition to as well for networking. It's like all cold call emailing. Yeah. I think that the idea then is, you have to be a little bit more prepared and it can't be as casual. You, you know, if you received a real casual email, you're like, hey, I, I found you on the BLG website. Like it's not as personal as you probably hope, especially given how much more information is on that exact same website. So you got to do a little bit more background search. And to me, what I think I would do is I'd be like, okay, I gotta really want to make sure I'm interested in this for sure. Because I don't want to put in all this extra effort to get myself involved in something I'm not too into. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So there's some other questions that I had. If we could switch gears now just to talking about the mindset and the mental state that you're in as a junior lawyer, even as an articling student, because a common issue amongst students and junior lawyers is that we don't know what we don't know. 
And so what are some of the difficulties of knowing or not knowing what practice looks like in specialized areas as a junior lawyer? And how do you navigate those kind of difficulties? Yeah, so I think that's sort of imposter syndrome that a lot of people experience during law school. I'd say that probably doesn't go away, um, especially working in a larger firm where there's people who are these you know, experts in their field of practice. You're always looking up to people thinking, you know, how do I get there one day? They know they seem like they know so much more than me and they do and they have so much more experience. So I think uh, trying to figure out just what are the areas of practice out there, um, as we kind of talked about doing doing your research, figuring out what's out there and then really just finding good mentors in the group and, and people who are going to kind of take you under their wing and teach you and include you on emails and client calls and things like that. And, and those are sort of things that I've really benefited from in my first few years at BLG. And um, yeah, something that's, that's super valuable. I think I sort of stumbled into the area of privacy law also a little bit randomly. I, I didn't know too much about it. I didn't take privacy law classes at law school, but one of my first assignments as a summer student at BLG was uh, with the privacy law group. And I just didn't know anything about that area of law when I did that assignment and learned a ton and continue to work with uh, those people and the group nationally today. Right. I mean, that answers so many questions that I had for follow-ups. I mean, with regards to imposter syndrome and managing responsibilities, general work pressure, and the realities that are faced by so many junior lawyers around that. So I suppose what you would say just hearing what you're saying now about managing those challenges is, is leaning into the mentorship and being okay to learn things that you have no exposure to, but you're learning them by trying to get exposure to them by just being involved. And that was something I even found to be a, a great learning opportunity this last summer when I was working up north at the Prince Rupert Port Authority was just even being involved on uh, negotiations, especially with third-party producers and whatnot, like to see experienced counsel go through those. And I feel that that might be a little bit more tricky in the old world of not virtual, right? Because they'd be traveling all the way there. So you couldn't, Yeah. you might be overstepping as a student being like, hey, can I hop on business class to Toronto to see them do it? Or can I have them open up a laptop so I can webcam in to watch it? They'd probably look at you like, maybe you should get back to doing your redactions. <laughs> yes. It's way more accessible to just, you know, join in on the on the Zoom call or, yeah, it's, uh, those are one of the, the benefits for sure of this remote world. And, and yeah, I think getting involved, but also kind of taking a lead on some of the more like traditionally non-billable things in a law firm. If, if people are writing papers or doing presentations, also putting up your hand to pitch in and help out with those. You learn so much about that area of law by participating in those kind of things. And, and that's also something I found really beneficial as a student and now a junior lawyer, trying to build up some expertise and learn more and become kind of part of a specialized group is just continuously educating yourself and, and helping out with those sorts of things. Yeah. And speaking of those exact kind of projects, I'd like to talk about your article, the Insurance as a Cybersecurity and Privacy Risk Management Tool. Um, it came out this last fall. It was available on Mundac. That's how we found out about you here at the TRU Business Law Society. And going through it, it was just a very accessible um, and interesting idea about insurance and two more recent cases that came out in Canada regarding how your insurance policy as a company might not be enough to cover you for online actions. 
But maybe before we go into that, could you give us a brief overview of the areas of privacy law in Canada? We have uh, public sector privacy legislation. We have private sector privacy legislation. Um, There's specific statutes in British Columbia. And oftentimes clients or organizations have questions about, you know, they want to do something and they're wondering, how do we comply with privacy legislation or what are the privacy law implications? Um, Other things that come up in the practice of privacy are responding to cybersecurity or privacy incidents like breaches. Um, Organizations might need help drafting privacy policies or entering into various kinds of agreements and want to consider the privacy implications. So it's very broad and there's tons of different things that you can do in privacy law. And it's a really interesting area because it's changing so quickly. So um, as you mentioned, there's, you know, new, new case law on the areas of cyber and privacy insurance, there's also legislative reform happening across Canada. So in British Columbia, um, just this past fall, our public sector privacy legislation was amended. So, um, you know, there's new obligations that organizations need to consider. Um, There was recently a report about modernizing our private sector privacy legislation. So this is a really rapidly evolving area of law. And it's I think a great area for more junior people to get involved in because it is changing so quickly and, and you can keep up with what's going on with the reforms and case law and become kind of, you know, an expert in that area as it's happening. Um, so that's something that really interests me about this area. Yeah, it's very exciting to be at the forefront of uh, a massive legal change or it's a new issue. It's a novel reality for us to try and manage. Would it be Fair of me to understand it like this, though, like, um, obviously, we have provincial and federal legislation. And amongst those two heads, there is public and private privacy legislation in each? Or are they overlapped in any sense? Or are they pretty separate as four different things? Yeah, it really depends on the province. In British Columbia, we have um, private sector and public sector. There's also uh, federally PIPETA, which governs um, in some provinces that don't have their own specific provincial legislation. Um, There's other statutes too that can come into play like health law statutes that deal with privacy. So there's there's a lot of different laws going on in this area. Yeah, health law privacy issues is a major thing amongst employers right now trying to, and somewhat employment law too, with their their vaccine, um, not mandates, but their policies that are trying to force employees to um, make a, a claim of whether or not they are or are not vaccinated and using the kind of employment law loophole to av- like avoid a privacy challenge by just being like, no, we didn't fire them because they weren't vaccinated. We fired them because they refused to answer our policy. Yes, definitely a, a hot topic on the, the vaccination status. And as you mentioned, there's all these employment law considerations, but there's also privacy law considerations um, because it deals with personal information. So these are also areas that, as you can see, when current events are happening in the world, these these privacy law issues do come up. Um, so yeah, this, that's definitely a big one right now. Right. Okay. So let's talk about the article just a little bit um, okay. with regards to that. You cover two recent Canadian cases, which illustrate how traditional insurance policies might provide limited or no coverage for losses and liabilities resulting from cybersecurity and privacy incidents. So could you touch on those cases briefly? Yeah, those cases dealt with cybersecurity and privacy incidents. One had to do with a hacked report that was posted on social media, and another one had to do with a social engineering fraudulent scheme. And 
those cases were really interesting in that the court sort of examined the different insurance policies in each case and then determined whether or not the, the privacy or cybersecurity incidents were covered by those insurance policies. And it was really interesting that how the court sort of interpreted those policies. And when I first read the cases, those were sort of the things I was looking at were, you know, principles of interpretation. And, and I was looking at that and I did a first draft of the bulletin that talked about those things. And I talked to my mentor after and, and he sort of went through my draft with me and was talking about how, you know, those are really important things for for lawyers to know about the contract or insurance policy interpretation principles. But for people who are going to be reading this online, businesses or organizations, like they really care about sort of what are the practical implications. So that's something that I've started to do when I'm, I'm looking at these sort of legislative reforms or case law is figuring out what do organizations actually care about And in these cases, the courts really emphasize the importance of having adequate um, coverage in terms of scope and amount uh, for cybersecurity and privacy incidents if organizations are going to be managing those risks through insurance. And so that was really interesting to kind of look at it from a different lens, look at it from the perspective of an organization instead of maybe more of a, a law student looking, reading case law and looking for the ratio. Right. Yeah. You have to look at it from inside the business's shoes, not just from the, what should I deduct from this to know what I need to spit out on the exam? Exactly. Right. It's a totally different analysis, but the, I loved how in the article, these are high level challenging things, but you briefed them in such a way that was very accessible. And it was super understandable, even for myself as somebody who's never done any insurance research or whatnot. The other comment and thought when I was reading the article is, I was like, how much are insurance premiums going to go up if businesses do want to try and cover themselves for this kind of liability? Because it just feels like it exponentializes with cybersecurity and the incredible breadth of how much exposure leaked information can get so quickly. It's not like this is just being leaked by being printed out and left on a printer in a public library. It's immediate and it's everywhere accessible to anyone. Imagine the premiums would have to go up so drastically. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a, a new sort of emerging area to see these more like standalone cyber privacy um, insurance policies. So I think it's it's definitely a new area and we'll have to kind of see what happens there. I wonder if this is going to be solved by insurance companies allowing it and giving people those clauses, but I couldn't imagine how much more money you'd have to pay. They'd have to do a lot of risk analysis, of course, to see what that particular business was at and how would you control for that? I mean, this is these are interesting solicitor questions for how we can do due diligence going forward, right? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely things that I think the insurance companies will have to consider and then the businesses that are buying the insurance are going to have to do a cost benefit analysis on in terms of scope what do they want to look to cover and then in terms of the amount what dollar figure do they want and and how much are they going to have to pay for that and um so yeah these these sorts of cases are are definitely informative and and are things that businesses and insurance companies are going to need to think about yeah absolutely and it's also nice to be on the, the more corporate commercial side and to be able to glean things from cases even though a part of you is just like i'm probably never going to step into a courtroom or be involved in litigation but it still shows that case law in general is so informative to everybody in law yeah totally and it's important for all of us to know how to read it and how to analyze it yeah i think that's kind of across the board that's that's one of the reasons why as a, a student a summer student articling student um, even if you know you want to do solicitor work, you're always, or at least I've always been encouraged to still try litigation, you know, do a, do a commercial litigation file as a student 
and see what happens when things go wrong. What are the, the issues that end up getting disputed when you're drafting agreements or um, doing transactions? What are the things that then end up causing disputes down the road? And then when you're the person who's you know, at the beginning putting together those agreements or doing those transactions when things are all still great between the parties, what are things that you know, maybe down the road in other instances led to disputes and, and you can sort of figure those out before they lead to those issues. Yeah, learn from others' mistakes. Exactly. For more information on this topic, I strongly recommend that listeners read Danielle's article in full, and it can be found, as I mentioned, on Mundac and BLG's website. But finally, Danielle, the last question I have for you is where can people and businesses find out more about your services? Yes, you can find me on BLG's website. I think it's just www.blg.com. Um, and yeah, we, we have a a national privacy cybersecurity team, um, which is a lot of amazing individuals that I get to work with and, and you can learn more about us there. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining us, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in learning more about the TRU Business Law Society, you can check out our website at www.trubls.com. See you in the next episode. 